Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You will also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Okay, we told you it was coming. This is part two of the big interview with the mighty Brian Loudrop. I'd say it's a story to restore your faith in football. European Super League? Let's talk about winning the European Championship. Let's talk about a team that thought they were going on their holidays. Anyway, those of you who listened to part one already know the build-up. Those of you who didn't start now, quickly, hurry along in this episode. Brian will break down Denmark's progression through the tournament from the faltering early displays via the crazy goal from the Burger King or whatever it was. Fast food at a tournament. Yes, in 1992 you could do all that. And suddenly an influx of Danes into Sweden, a growing assurance as the Danes claimed major scalps like France and Holland en route to the final against Germany. Yes, there's a mention for England too. Overall... This is remarkable. A story full of good people doing things they didn't really believe that they'd be able to do. Lots of mentions of Schmeichel, Michael Laudrup, Muller Nielsen. Overall, one of the most thrilling international stories ever. And so many of you won't have heard it told this well ever before. We are The Big Interview. Thanks for listening. The international debut in Vienna, where you were born. Muller Nielsen coming to Munich to say, let's make up. The momentum of things that seem meant to happen builds with the fact that your first group game, as you've mentioned, in most of the Scandinavian countries, English football is kind of like a, a, a big brother or a grand uncle. You, you, you were force fed it on television there's such a massive following for United and Liverpool there, etc., etc., etc. And your first game is England. I want to make two comments and, and, and throw to you. If you look at the England side, now with retrospect, Woods, Keith Carroll, Pierce, Keown, Walker, Platt, Stephen, Lineker and, and Carlton Palmer. I've read out more star-studded, more glamorous England 11s than that. And I also want to, I want to throw to you they weren't to be sneered at, but if, if you read out Schmeichel, Suverbeck, Nielsen, Olsen, Anderson, Christophe, Jensen, Paulson, Christensen and Vilfort, you're still at that stage making sure that you're fully ready, that you're fully fit. But 
As Michael again said to me at the end of that game in the dressing room, he uses the phrase, the atmosphere was like a funeral, because they all thought that they should have beaten England uncomfortably. Do you agree with that? I have, I have to take you just six days back from, from that game, because when we meet at the hotel in, in uh, Denmark, uh, and we, you know we're going out for the first training session, we are all gathered in, in the middle of the, of, of, of the pitch, and Richard Mel Nelson, he's standing right in the center of it. And he says, you know what this means to Danish football and to, you know, the Danish fans. But, rea- but you have to realize, guys, that we are not going to the Euros to just make up the numbers. We are going to the Euro 92 to win it. And we were like, what is he on? You know, I, I would like something of that. You know? <laughs> that was- we-, we felt... I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he wanted to build up the team, obviously. But but again, you know, he, I think he laid down a marker to, to understand that, yeah, we, don't, we only have a week to prepare. Um, perhaps we've got players that are not 100% fit. But we, we go across to Sweden as the biggest underdog ever in football history um, with a good team with a team that knows each other very well. We know each other's strengths, weaknesses. We have got a very pragmatic way of playing football, but we have got quality, no doubt about that. But nobody expects Denmark to do anything. And for us, if you look back in 88, Denmark didn't get a point uh, in in that group uh, section they were in. So what we said, we we, uh, we went straight to the, the press before that game and said, if we just get one point, then we're better than the 88 team, you know? So, and basically that was enough for us. So, so we went into that game against England, obviously expecting them to be a, a very tough game. You know, they're prepared for three, perhaps even four weeks. Um, we knew that they were, there were a lot of criticism back in England with that team perhaps not being as prolific as, you know, former uh, international teams. But again, um, you know, being, I think people expect that England to beat us quite comfortably. And we play very well. I mean, we, we, we came out, we, we ran as, as much as we could. We defended well and we even hit the post. I think it was John Jensen hitting the post in the second half. So I think we, uh, Peter Schmeichel was outstanding as we knew he, he had to be if we had any chance of, of getting any points whatsoever. And, and, and as I say, after the game, we were, we were disappointed. Can you imagine that? I mean, preparing for a week, nil-nil, one point against England. We were we were in the competition, but we felt like we should have beaten England because we we, we were a handful that day, and uh, and it just showed the character we had. You know, we were we were just getting into. I think we if we had been beaten by England three-nil, I think we would have been it would that would have been it. But I think that built up a momentum that if we can get a point against England, perhaps against Sweden, if we can get something out of that game, yeah, you never know. And then all of a sudden, you play France in the final game. So so it was uh, it was a huge turning point, um, and it made us realise perhaps we can do something here. We, we can't win it, but at least we can upset a few people. Uh, we're really lucky. I love the phrase that you said, we were a handful, and that's a great phrase. Um we're lucky to be supported by our sponsors, Bet365, and they've said that 
they don't think it's a myth, and I'm not sure if it is, but Hummel were your kit sponsors then. And the story goes that the arrival of Denmark suddenly into the Euro was too quick for them and that they had to manufacture strips. And the first game, at least the England game, I think, you had to, the team had to wear the under-21 strips. It's true. And, and the other thing was, you know, whereas all the other teams, you know, turned up in Sweden with nice suits and stuff like that, you know, ties and looked fantastic, you know, they had they didn't have time to to create that for us, you know. So we turned up in Hummel's short sleeve shirts, green. They were absolutely horrific. We looked like the, the, the greatest amateur team ever. But I mean, it's, I think that's the myth as well. And, and it just created, a, a, you know, like a, a, the idea of, you know, us just going across, you know, after a couple of training sessions, playing a game. And it, it, it makes the story even better because, and it's, it's part of the story, obviously, because we were very concentrated. I mean, we went into it giving it all. We wanted to really create something. And, and you know, again, um, by doing it uh, the way we did and, and with the, the smile on our faces, I think people, you know, the press loved us as well. And all these stories about, you know, going to McDonald's, stuff like that which we did, um, you know, was, was, was part of that fantastic, you know, um, yeah, story as well. The world was focused on Scandinavia in that time because in your country there was the Maastricht vote coming up, a lot of campaigning, a lot of controversy. If I'm not wrong, it was also the Silver Jubilee of, of, for your royals, which I guess for Danes, still quite a royal-focused country then, was a big occasion. Sweden were, were hosting the Euros. It's Sweden next. Generally, how are Danes and Swedes? Is it England, Scotland? I think it's perhaps if you go back five, six, seven hundred years ago, it would have been like that, I think. But it's changed now. We were obviously, I mean, rivals, but it's not as bad as, as, as perhaps England and Scotland. So, um, but I think that, um, I think actually, when when Sweden went out of the Euros, I think a lot of Swedish people, you know, rooted for Denmark because they they love the idea about a team, you know, joining in the last minute, actually going to uh, to a final and stuff like that, and and I think helping the 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 opponents were Germany. I think uh, not a lot of people perhaps wanted Germany to 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 win it, um, but um, yeah, having said that, it's it's. Uh, it was, yeah, incredible, yeah. Did, did you deserve to win the next game? Because at the end of the 90 minutes, when we brawl in scores, on what is kind of a counter, kind of a breakaway, you've one point after two games, and, and you're not selling that as part of the great master plan. Did you deserve more out of that game? No, we, we did not deserve anything out of that, because I think the, the Swedes were very, you know, very solid, very strong, uh, physically a very tough team to play against. I think, they. I mean... It was actually strange to see because I thought they had a very good team in that mm. uh, during the Euros. But having said that, they were the only team to to beat Denmark, so I think they can be happy about that, you know. And I remember the Danes commentator saying, "Okay, that's it. Denmark are out of the Euro '92." You know, after two games, they didn't realize that by beating France in the in the final game, and and if Sweden beat England then we could get into uh, the semifinals, and that's uh, what happened. But again, the, the, you're talking about the Maastricht vote there, and uh, I remember the, uh, the, uh, the Danish foreign minister saying, if you can't join them, 
at least beat them. So you're you're at your do or die moment. Um, this is what your wife was saying to you: "Don't be crazy, go back." This is what Poulsen was dreaming of when you phoned them from Munich to Dortmund, and this is what Muller Nielsen was talking about because football being football, nobody should say it's impossible. But France are an interesting side. Bruno Martini, a lot of people will have forgotten about. After which, Laurent Blanc, Basile Bolli. Cassoni is less well known, but Amaros was a phenomenal footballer. Uh, Didier Deschamps, um, Cantona, Papin, Luis Fernandez, one of the greatest European football. Mar- uh, managed by, I'd have to say, not one of my favourite people in, in, in Michel Platini. Um, no way can you say Denmark don't win this, but, but I... I'd imagine France are favourite for the game. I think they were pre-tournament favourites, um, although Germany were strong and Holland were defending. What was the, the first of all? Did, did 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 crazy golf help you win this? How did crazy golf help you win the tournament? Did did, did you go and play a little bit of pitch and putt? Yeah, that's um, that was a good way to uh, to keep us, you know, the players entertained. And uh, yeah, but I, I have to go back again and say before the game against. Uh, just to, to, to show you that the lack of support we had. Um, when we played England in Malmo, which is, as you know, just across from, from Denmark, um, only 3,000 Danish fans came across because nobody you know, believed in, in our team. And it just shows you how it changed. Then against Sweden, we had like the likes of 10,000. When we played France, we're talking about 20,000, and it just went on from there, you know. So, so our popularity went from zero to absolute heroes, you know, and, and, and it, that's part of the story as well. But we, um, yeah, we, we, you know, we went into that France game, you know, knowing that uh, they were a phenomenal side, some, some big, big players in there, as you mentioned, a very young Cantona, Jean-Pierre Papin, um, played with at AC Milan. What a player he was! What a finisher he was, Michel Platini. But just by looking on the sideline and seeing Michel yeah. Platini, I I met Platini. You know, previously, obviously, my brother played with Platini at, at Juventus. So I mean, uh, there, you could just see the the grandness of things. You know, what a team they were. They they, they expected to get into the final, and uh, I remember you know standing in you know. Just before the game, when we went on the pitch, you know, they were looking at us like, you know, <laughs> it's this is going to be easy, and you should never do that against Danes, you know, because <laughs> then something there is there is something in us which you know we 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 gain strength from that, you know, and and um, and we don't like to be favourites, but but underdog rule is we we love it, and never that's, put us down. Uh, no, exactly, and then we came out and and. For the first game with Henrik Larsson, you know, uh, who who was um, um, a very good midfield player uh, who went on to, to play in Italy uh, as well, um, he played his first game. And um, it was it was funny because I, I think he played in Denmark back then. He was sold after the Euros and went to, um, to Pisa. But um, he got, you know, he had a fantastic, you know, shooting ability with both feet. And the first goal, he just smashed into the top corner with his left foot, and I think, and I think it was quite early on. Eight minutes. So, so that changed the uh, the whole um, setup of the game. You could see the French. They, 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 uh, that was one of the, the few things that didn't expect to happen. 
you know, they had a, a you know, uh, a plan, a game plan going into the game, but, you know, being, you know, one nail behind was not one of them. So that changed the whole dynamic and they really went for it. And uh, eventually through uh, Jean-Pierre Papin, he equalised, yeah. How much weight can I put on what happens in terms of Muller-Nielsen's interpretation of the match? Because famously in 86 against Spain, Piontek, very much true to his, his, his football philosophy, when Spain look as if they're on top, he says, let's attack more and puts another, another attacker. When Papin scores his goal just around the hour mark, I think, and I don't know if you're pissed off with him, or whether you realise, but you know the the recovery from the um, the, the ligament surgery had left you at this stage needing to come off, ready to come off, a bit ticked off at him. But he waits, he times it, and you'd argue that in Elstrup, the proof is that he chose well. That that moment, how crucial is the is the switch as you come off as Elstrup comes on? What 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 was it that Muller Nielsen got right? That was the best switch he could ever do. I think. Um, and I went to him after the game and said, I wasn't, um, I was very happy about getting, you know, changed at that point because I was, I was completely knackered. You know, I, I, I have to say that, uh, I was, I was running short of fuel. I was, uh, really struggling playing three games in, in the space of just, uh, more or less, was it seven, eight days? And, and that was exactly my, my worry before the uh, the Euros that that was going to happen. So for me, being taking off that was that was completely understandable. I was I was thankful for it, and we just hoped that Lars Elstrup, who hadn't played much in 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 the Euros, could come up with something. He was a uh, he was you know very well known as as a, a typical goal scorer, not the uh, a great player perhaps you know doing a lot of things out on the park, but in in the box he would come alive. And surely that that great pass from I think it was Fleming Paulsen, um, it was it looks like he was offside Fleming Paulsen, but he wasn't. And then he just went through a, a wee cross and he tapped it in. And what a, a feeling that was! We went absolutely berserk on on the bench, <laughs> you know. And and it was like you know, I mean, something which we uh, and I have to say. Before the game, when we, you know, when the players we, we we spoke about this this France game, we we thought we could do something. We 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 really thought that it was going to be a very close game. But if we could upset them and work our socks off like we like we did all, all the tournament, then we could create um, an upset. And um, and you could see the, and the French players began to argue on the park, you know, nice. and, and, nice. and and then you know you have them, yeah. you know, then they're you know, they're in your pocket. And um and that's and, and I think the goal came at, at at the right time, you know, we could defend the rest of the game, put a lot under pressure obviously by the French. They they went all all out for it, but uh, we 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 held it and uh, and we were in the semi final. We've got people called socios who are like seen to golders, but they're people who've been behind us. This is our your your our sixth anniversary, so thank you. This is our sixth anniversary as we speak, and Robert Ryan is one of them. He's an extraordinary guy. Um, you'll be able to guess who he supports by how he opens his message to you. Hello, Sir Brian. So, yeah, Robert is definitely 
an ultra Rangers fan. He says that he watched the movie documentary um, about your Euro 92 side uh, recently. He really loved it. He adores you. He, he calls you one of the lightning rods of creativity and spark in the side. And, and he wonders how much you embraced and enjoyed that responsibility. And tied into that, I want to think now, because you, you, Robert's point is that as you've beaten France, you're through the group. You know you're going to play the holders. And, and the holders, if, if I have my way in life, I look at the Dutch team and I say that they are a better team. They're more, they're more thrilling and creative team than the team you ultimately beat in the final. I, I wonder, taking from Robert's point there, at, at this stage with Holland in the near distance, what, what's happening with, are you chatting, are you getting time to chat to your dad? To Michael, who's sitting on with a kind of, not a split heart, but a little bit sore and excited. Your wife has encouraged you to just say, focus, go. To, to what extent in the in the gap between France and Holland, is there a chance to relax, to speak, to try and not get worried now that there's there's expectation because you've beaten France? What was happening then? But now you get to a stage where... Um, where you can actually see, you know, the um, the final in front of you, you know, and and we we couldn't see that when we when we went to Sweden, you know, it was as I say again, it was all about getting one point, taking from there. If we had one point, then that would have been a success. But now, all of a sudden, you're you're actually looking to play a semi final against the holders, and for me personally, that was the that was the best team at the Euros. For me, I mean, if you look at the players they had, uh, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's it's phenomenal. Burkamp, you know, Van Basten, Coleman. I mean, you can just keep on mentioning those, you know, legendary names. But there's one thing about the Dutch, and I've played in, in Holland myself, that sometimes, you know, they're so convinced of their own um, greatness that perhaps sometimes they can become a little arrogant. And I think they did. Um, I think they, you know, for them, playing Denmark was um, was a free ticket to the final. That was my impression. And I think, as I say with the French, even before we went on the, on the pitch again, you know, the Dutch, they looked a little bit like, yeah, <laughs> you know, Gullit as well, you know, all these great players. And, and we were standing like small boys, you know, and, you know, honoured to play against the likes of, of these, you know, truly world famous names. But there was one thing that we always talked about in, in uh, before the game. It was like the Dutch will always, they, they play very open. So they will give you space. If, if we can defend well enough and use the pace, the likes of myself, Fleming Powelson, and then again, if Henry Larson could get in, you know, close to um, to the um, to the area, then we have a chance. But we have to defend well because they have got so much skill on the ball. They have got so much creativity that if we if we are not compact, then forget it. You will get slaughtered uh, again. Like against the French, we we scored a girl all, uh, early on. Henry Glasson one nil, and again that that changed the the dynamic, you know, and and we you know we felt that um, getting the first goal, attacking, and we attacked uh, I think a lot more in that game than we did in in all the other games in in, in total. So yeah, 
That's a, but that's a deliberate decision from from Mueller Nielsen to to, to to use what you've identified. There'll be space, so let's not just wait for the space to arrive. Let's try and punch into it, right? Yeah, because they have got so many players that that wants to go forward. You know, even their fullback were very you know attack minded. So obviously, we we knew that there there would be a lot of space, you know, down those channels, and and, and we used that to uh, to a fantastic effect. Um, I had a, a chance early on, almost one-on-one. Uh, I, I missed that one, unfortunately. Uh, it, I think it came too too early in the game, so I was not ready for it. But uh, not an excuse, but just to try and, and tell you why. It, it, I mean, we. I think we were a little bit surprised how much space we actually got. So, it, and, and you know, by scoring the first goal, we we felt that we could do this again. I mean, we did it against the French. If we can hold on. And you know, take the pressure off the game, controlling you know the passing, and not lose the ball too often, which sometimes can be a problem if you're not hundred percent fit. Then, then we, we we could do it again, and then uh, eventually they they um, they equalised. Um, I think through was it Bergkamp? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 four minutes from from the end. Bergkamp gets the first. Um, yeah, you're, you're sorry, you're still because Larson hasn't put you two one up yet. But the two scorers are Bergkamp and, and Rijkaard. You talk about Bergkamp, who, who to me is one of the outstanding footballers of modern European history, and and it, because he didn't win the Euro like the, the trio went to Milan did in '88, I think he's still slightly underthought of. But for my taste, and I know you share a club in that you spent time at Ajax successfully at Ajax, so did Bergkamp. He, to me, he just glided. He was super intelligent, tough as nails, you know, to hold his own in the Premier League later on in life. Just an extraordinary footballer. Oh, a fantastic footballer. And I think, I think he was he was just back then, you know, finding his feet in the in the national team as well. The likes of Gullit, Coleman, Van Basten, obviously the big, huge, huge names. But he was he was taking over for them, and and he I mean. It was it was a delight to play against teams like that, you know, because you, you could see the way they handled the ball, you know, they, um, you know, every every player attacked, every player defended, you know, from Johan Cruyff philosophy. It was it was fantastic to play against. But as I say again, you know, we had something which when Henrik Larsson you know put us two one up just before half time that we thought okay 45 minutes and then we're in the final we have to to make sure that we we keep on going we were tired yes we were and eventually again you know i was uh, i was knocked down in the second half and taking off again um not being able to play uh, the full 90 minutes and and watching Rijkaard scoring the equaliser, I think it was just, was it five or six minutes from time? And we thought, oh my God, you know, we, we're so close. And you could see on all the players that they were, you know, running so low on fuel, um, not being able to, uh, you know, get the legs forward. So it's just about, you know, keeping, keeping tight, just keep the players back and hope for the, for the penalties and make Peter Michael do his, uh, his job. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. 
We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Our kind sponsors, Bet365, want you to answer a true question. It's important that you're not playing when you're when you're injured or coming back. It's a very tough game. There's going to be extra time. It might have been the right re- might the right timing for you to be off the pitch. But for a leader, for a for a truly great footballer like you, there's a lot of frustration that you can't help them see out extra time or win an extra time. And their question is: by the time it comes to penalties, are you happy or sad that you're not on the pitch? Not everybody loves. Not everybody loves a penalty shootout. Yeah, I have to say that um, I have. You know, I would have. I would have loved to to um, to have a go. No doubt about that. Usually, I always say that I uh, I prefer to have the, the final one. I mean, the fifth shot because either you're hero or you're zero. So it's um, it's it, it can go either way. So I've I've always done that. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Because if you want to be a hero, you have to accept that you might be the villain. Yeah, and and I think I've, you know, I've met a lot of footballers that are saying, I'll never take a penalty in the, in the shootout or I'll never take the final one because uh, I haven't got the nerves for that. I didn't have a problem with that. But you have to accept that your role can change from, as I say, from the villain or the hero, you know. So, so th- that that was it. But unfortunately, during uh, due to a dead leg, I wasn't able to play. But I could see the players, you know, the five players that were selected, how nervous they were. I mean, because all of a sudden, you know, it, it that was the moment that showed me how far we we had come. To to be honest, because. The first games were like, yeah, lighthearted, laid-back approach, you know, no expectations. Um, it's quite easy to go into a tournament like that, being a, 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 a favourite with all the pressure on your on your shoulders. It's a completely different ballgame. But right there, it was all about five shooters, one goalkeeper, and just a few minutes away from 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 a final and I mean as a, as a Danish international you can't expect to play finals you can play at a Euros yeah but play the real final I mean it's it's something which comes perhaps across uh, every 100 years or something like that if, if, if at all so all of a sudden you can see on the five players that you know it hit in and sunk in that we are so close to actually play the Euros, fine. Let's let's cheat a little bit as a time machine. And I've taken you right back to that day. The draw has been made for which end they're going to shoot from. We know that the the ten first kickers are going to be Kuman van Basten, Bergkamp, Rijkaard, Witsche, and for Denmark, Larsen, Poulsen, Elstrup, Vilfort, and Christofte. The shootout hasn't been played. The time machine has done its magic. Who wins that shootout, Brian? 
Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you look at, at uh, as you say at, at the kickers, you know, you you would say that uh, you know it's a world class setup from you know the Dutch players obviously are huge favorites and there was at least one player you would say he's a dead cert and that would be Van Basten and he's the one who misses it you know so sometimes you know even the best players in the world can you know it can get to you you know the 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 emotions the 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 nerves and you just have to say that Peter Schmeichel he did extremely well no doubt about that but but again if I had looked at their, you know, their players, I would say, I mean, he's he's a well-known, world-famous goal scorer. He, he was so good at taking penalties. I've seen him so many occasions doing that. Uh, so for him to be the only one to actually miss it, uh, it was incredible. And then I have to say, the guy who actually scored the our final goal, um, Christopher, he was my, he played with my dad at Brentby. And we have to go back many, many years before the uh, the Euros, Euro '92. And I just loved the guy. He was one of the most elegant footballers you would ever see. Perhaps he he didn't have as big as uh, a career as perhaps he could have had, but he had his moment, and that was certainly it. Playing in the Euros and then score that fantastic, beautifully taken penalty. I think he just moved. Was it half a yard back from the ball and just, you know, did a dummy and put it in into the side of the uh, of the goal? It was it was, I mean, laid back style, which summed up the way we actually went to Sweden. I think. Feel free to put me down here, but I am a romantic. Was that the call of the amateur Danes? There was that the call of the people who used to play for fun and for show. And there's a bubble around him going, this isn't the European Championship semi-final. This isn't pressure. This is me and a ball and an opposition guy. And amateur football says, I'm going to do this. Exactly. And and you know what? He, he'd done it so many times on the training pitch. But, you, I mean, you can do it there with no pressure, no people watching, but certainly not in the semi-final. So I, when I looked at the way he, he put down the ball and did exactly what he's done so many, so many times on on, a, on the pitch, you know, on the on the training ground, I was like, my heart was almost stopping. You know, it was. I said, no, he, he can't do that. We are talking about a semi-final. We're, I mean, he if he scores, we're in the final. What is he thinking about? But he was. He was so such a, a late back character, you know. He uh, he was um, he was a wonderful footballer, you know, naturally gifted, and he had a, a belief in himself which made it completely right to do that, you know, because he he was um, yeah, it, it was it was the the perfect let's say end to um, to a semi final which. I felt that perhaps would would have been a step too far for Denmark, but during the ninety minutes we showed them that uh, we, we were actually um, again, as I say, a handful, which uh, we had been for many teams that uh, in that tournament, and now you know we're in the final. It's a truly beautiful moment, and we're drawing to the close, the finale, the the the, the ultimate beauty, because Luis Aragon has always said. Finals aren't for, for playing and they're for winning. Let, let's stop before the final and tell me anything you want. The, the, 
because the 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 influx of Danes must have been gigantic. You must have been talking to family to 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 to, to measure where you'd got. I also want to touch on Michael. I don't know. Not everybody that plays together stays friends. I have no idea how the two of you are. I can only say from my experience, I find him an extraordinary man. And I'm not sure my, my, my predilection goes for Jim Layton because he won my club, the European Cup Winners' Cup. I live in Spain for 20 years. Ica Casillas has changed my life. But I'm not convinced I've ever seen a better, more complete goalkeeper than Schmeichel. And I'm also not convinced that he's, he's completely Danish in his mentality. You, you've talked about the Germans. This, it, it feels like there's a drop of German, a drop of Englishness, a little smidgen of Danish. Uh, am I making a... No, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think uh, that, that that made him uh, arguably uh, one of the best goalkeepers of, of, of time, uh, of all time. I think he's he, he brought something which... Again, going back to Brunby, you know, you, you should. I mean, we have had some fights, Peter Schmeichel and myself. You're he yelling at me and me yelling back, you know. Um, but what he always did, and he was, I mean, he must have been a nightmare for the defenders playing in front of him, you know, because he he was he was such a. I mean, he had this ability and you know this character. It was all about winning, 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 winning. He was um, at times a nightmare to play with, but again. I think he, he was exactly what a team needs. And I think you've heard that from players, Manchester United as well, you know, saying about Peter Schmeichel, he could be a nightmare at times, you know. Uh, but but again, he was he was, a, he was a winner, a zero winner. He was the, the uh, perhaps in his mentality more, as you say, German uh, than Danish. Because we, and, and perhaps he brought that winning mentality to... Uh, to, to to the Danish national team, and I think he was one of the reasons. We have to say that without his heroics between the sticks, we wouldn't we wouldn't have won it, especially in the final. I would say that in the final, he showed the world what he was capable of. Um, I, I recall one save which I think came from Klinsman, who just turns and, and shoots, and it's down in I think it's the right hand corner, and he he. He just touches it and it just goes to, uh, you know, just behind the post. And it was one of these saves that you couldn't expect him to save that. But he just shows the world that what he was capable of, he was, he was a big, big lad. He was vocal. He was, uh, you know, quick in one we once. He, he, you know, you, you, I mean, in, in, even in training sessions, it was difficult to score against him. I mean, you, you always had the feeling if you came one on one with him, I haven't got it. I haven't got a chance. So, that's what he brought with him, and and he made all the players around him so much better. So for for me, he's up there uh, with the most important players uh, in in yeah in, in old football time. I would say. I know you won't you won't be shy of telling me if, if I'm wrong, but I wonder if looking forward to this game, the fact that you've played with Jurgen Kohler and Stefan Reuter and played with Effenberg, and that you've played against Ilkner. Buchwald, Helmer, probably I think not played against Bremer and Klinsmann who'd gone to Inter at the time you were in Germany, but you played against Hustler, you've played against Karl-Heinz Riedler, you've played against Thomas Dahl, either for Erdogan, a hell of a lot of names, but either for Erdogan or Bayern Munich, you've played against Dortmund or, or Karlsruhe or, or um, Köln, and and... 
as good as they are, to you at least, and, and to, to, to Poulsen as well, they're known quantities. That helps a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, obviously, having played, well, I, I played with, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, Reuter, Effenberg and Kohler, and they were top-class footballers, no doubt about really, that. Really top-class. I have to say Jürgen Kohler is one of the best man-markers I've ever seen. You know, his his games against the, the likes of Van Basten, you know, the years before that, they were like, you know, games of the game, you know, it was it was incredible to watch. He he could have he could have survived in Catanaccio, couldn't he, in the Italian era of uh, it was like a limpet. He was so he was so good on you know, because back then you played with man markers, not comparing today where you play in a different way. But but he was he was an he was a specialist in neutralizing, you know, uh, the, good attacking players and I played against them in training sessions you know it, oh, that was tough I mean Maldini was tough at Milan but Jürgen Kohl at Bayern Munich that was that was really uh, difficult because he, he knew all the tricks uh, to be honest and uh, but again you know Stefan Reuter one of the quickest fullbacks you will ever find and they had and Effenberg he was beginning to uh, you know uh, create a name of himself as well and, and speaking about Effenberg you know he, he phoned me on the night before the game on the of the final, and he was like, "Oh, fantastic, Brian! You're in the final. Like, you know, it's it's a huge surprise that you're in the final. Not that we're in the final, but but it, it will be great to play against you. We were quite good friends of Brian, and he says uh, we're going to swap shirts after the game. Yeah, no doubt about that. Say so if you want a winner's medal, your winner's uh, shirt, you get it. And uh, and then what happened after the game? All of a sudden, he was he was gone. And I never got to see him before, you know, before after the summer when we joined up with Fiorentina. Did it feel like he was slightly patting you on the head again? Again, you know, the thing you shouldn't do to a Dane, you know. And and I think we went out into that game. I mean, if we were struggling early on in, in that competition, we were really struggling to find 11 fit players because we had so many, you know, I had a dead leg. We had players with hips hip problems, uh, you know, calf problems. I think John Siwebeg was playing actually with, with a, an injured calf. So um, they were really, we were really struggling. Uh, we only had, I think, three days between the semifinal and the final. So, so it was all about getting these players treated, no training sessions whatsoever, just getting these players, you know, fit to play 90 minutes. And um, and we have to say if I mean we 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 had a feeling and I have to be honest with you we said before the game we have a chance but we 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 need to be very cautious because uh, you know we've got so many small and niggling injuries that if, if we lose those players then that will be it so uh, if we can keep it nil nil as as long as possible you never know what what's going to happen so uh, that's that's the the mentality we went into that game. And there's something about John Jensen hitting the, the the goal, which didn't happen that often. And uh, he, he he he, you know, the, at the warm up before the game, he was actually exercising that shot, and he was not hitting the goal once in ten shots. And then he got you know the the ball. I think was it was around twenty minutes, twenty five minutes into the first half. I think so, something around that. And he just punched it beautifully with his right foot and it went straight into the top corner and what a goal that was and that goal if if, if ever a goal can give you energy 
that was the one. Because all of a sudden, all the the tired legs, the uh, perhaps the the mental stress of, of of it all, you know, so many things happening around you for for such a short space of time, all that just disappeared, and that gave us the feeling that if we and with Peter Smyken, as I say, doing his heroics, if if we can keep that out, then we could lift the trophy. But I think I know you were you were detailing something that happened historically when pre-final John isn't hitting the target in the practice shots. But I think you spoke euphemistically about it because he wasn't really a scorer. Um, the goals, getting near the goals, you you were being gentle in it. Getting near the goals kind of gave him often gave him vertigo. But he seems to have been, if not Schmeichel-esque character, quite a character nonetheless. I, I'm not sure what Faxa actually means, but he's he's widely known as Faxa Jensen. I, I think he knew what nightlife was about. I think he was quite an exuberant, confident man. And if I'm not wrong, he kind of told everybody, what's the big fuss about the goal? This is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. Well, he, I mean, he would hit goals like that perhaps once, twice a season. I mean, we're talking about that. He, he could do it. I mean, he had a, a, a good shot. I know that Arsenal fans are still waiting for it. But uh, <laughs> having said that, I think he was he was quite an underrated footballer. I think he uh, he was uh, uh, you know he has I mean strong legs. He was running a lot. Uh, good technique actually. He was good on the ball. Um, he would put himself in front of the team. You know he was a real team player. Uh, uh, actually, his name Fats is is um, is a, a beer brand here in in Denmark. One of the smaller mm. ones. So that's why I'm not. Um, so that's why he was always called Faxa. But but he was he was a great lad. He was uh, great fun. He was one of these guys that always you know would 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 say something that would make you laugh. You know he was he was a guy that you gathered around. And um, so for him to get that goal and eventually went on to to go to Arsenal after that. You know he had a, a very good career. Um, but it was very unexpected to actually see. Um, facts of getting that goal but having said that you know it was it was a, it was a strange year 92 because uh, none of the uh, attacking players did get on the score sheet which is quite quite unique really Pauls and I we used to say that we did so much in terms of running that we created space for them but but having said that you know it was great to have players like that even Kim Vilfort you know that was one of the other stories uh, who had to leave uh, the camp at some point to go back to his uh, very ill daughter. Um, he came back for, for the final because his daughter told him to play the final, um, which he, he was not you know sure of. And he came back and, and got the, um, the yeah the, the 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 winning goal as well. So we had a number of good individual players from from midfield that could actually get the goals, and that made the difference. I, I don't want to be stupid, Brian. I really don't, but. So many times in this story, you've talked about things happening, events conspiring. We, we've established, and you know from me, that the respect for your ability, character, the way in which um, you treated the tournament is absolute. But, but when, you, when you top off Vienna and Muller Nielsen reaching out and, and Yugoslavia... And then you mentioned Kim Vilfort. Did you? Is there any part destiny plays in this that it, he goes away? His daughter will subsequently 
that. She sends him back to play. As you're a dad, I'm a dad. I'm not sure I could... I don't know what I would do. But he does come back. He scores the winning goal. Is it stupid to ask you to feel that the destiny sometimes intervene in our lives? I uh, I completely understand where you where you come from. I, I think uh, I've having having looked. I mean, having thought about the Euro '92 for so many uh, for so many years. I remember um, Premier Elker Larsen. He was doing the commentary uh, in the final for Danish television, and you know when the final whistle blew, he says. This victory, this title, this European Championship will change the, the players' lives forever, which is quite quite big words. But in 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 some respects, he was completely right. And I think there is there is a a, a humble way to look back now now twenty nine years ago. But we we have you know I've, I've thought about this for so long that it was. It was almost destiny. It was like it was destined for us to to go and win this tournament, despite not being able to prepare quite well, despite perhaps illness to to ch- some of the players' children, um, uh, despite perhaps not being able to almost field uh, eleven players for the final that, that were fit to play. It was like um, it was like there was a footballing god saying, "Sometimes we have to turn things." you know, uh, around. And, um, and even to this day, you know, you can, you can, well, not the, at least the, the last year due to the Corona uh, pandemic, but before that I could meet people around the world saying, you know, even an American or Mexican or say, Oh, Brian, I, I was there. I remember what we did exactly on that day when you won the final. And we, you know, we, we saluted the, the the Danish team. We, I mean, it's it's fantastic to 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 look at the fact that it has touched so many people, not only in our country but around the world. And I think that's the nice thing about again the underdog role. It must be difficult sometimes to be favourites like Germany, like Italy, perhaps like England as well, Spain, um, those teams. But for us, it was it was certainly what built the momentum and what built uh, the dream. And again, I have to go back and say, Richard Miller Nelson, uh, he, he used what we call pocket philosophy. I, know, I don't know whether you say that in, in English, but it was like when he told us, let's go over there and win it. It was about building our self-belief. And he did that. You have to say that without perhaps those few words, I think we, we could have gone across played one, two, three games and going back on holiday and say, what a fantastic achievement that was. Nobody expected anything. We got one point. That's fine. Let's go back on, on the beach. But he uh, made us realise that uh, we have a role to play and perhaps that role was destiny. The way to wrap this up, the last one, Brian, must be if you can pick something, a memory in the madness that follows. I, I don't know if it's if it's the dressing room. I don't know if it's seeing your family. I don't know if it's the parade. I don't know if it's just getting away on holiday and going, now I can breathe out. But if you had to pick something that happens following that victory that will live with you forever, what is it? I, I think the the return from uh, from Sweden. You have to realise we had been living in, in like a bubble 
we, we talk about the corona bubbles right now, but we lived in a bubble in, in Sweden for three weeks. We didn't really hear a lot of things, what, what was going on back home. We only got to see some newspapers where we could actually, when we beat Holland, there were 50,000 people in the, in the city squares, you know, and, and people were like crazy. And we thought, oh, my God, what is going on back home? That was the real. Then we began to, to get an idea of how, how crazy things were back home. But when we landed, we were um, received by two, uh, you know, fighter jets on you know both wings you know you know escorting the flight to uh, to uh, you know the airport and uh, we went over the um, the city center and it was completely packed and uh, we're talking about perhaps 3 4 500,000 people and we haven't seen so many people in the streets of, of Copenhagen since the end of uh, world war 2 so we're talking not not comparing that but again it just shows you how crazy things were so we we went, you know, from from uh, the the uh, the airport. It took us about four hours to get through a mob of people, people coming over just to celebrate, to thank us, to handing over, you know, beer bottles and you know cases of of beer and wine and stuff like that, champagne. And it took us, as, as I say again, uh, to get into the. Um, to the city center it took us four perhaps even five hours and and that was the most crazy experience ever i mean we you, you can't comp- you prepare yourself for that and that will stick with me forever uh it, it um it's it, it was it was crazy it's uh it's one of these moments that even you can dream about as a footballer as a as a, you know as a as a football player but um, to actually experience it no, it, that was different class. Brian Laudrup, European champion. Everybody listening will have been given a stimulus, permission to dream again and to think that in all our lives we can maybe do, we can achieve a dream, we can do more than we believe we can. That football, even in the time that you and I are speaking, disgusting things have just been announced in European football. This is a breath of fresh air to say, do what you enjoy, be good at it, believe, be a handful in life. Brian Ladrup, thank you for being on The Big Interview. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage, Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.